So uh, we're, we're in a series called Life in the Spirit. We've been looking at how the Spirit changes us. And the premise of the series, what we've been saying over and over again, is that there is a vast difference, there's a crucial difference between a morally restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. So there's a difference between someone who is restraining their will to be good and, and versus somebody who is supernaturally changed by the Holy Spirit. And we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit here, and what the fruit of the Spirit is, if you want to think about it this way, is the fruit of the Spirit, are, these are marks of a supernaturally changed heart. The fruit of the Spirit is what comes out of a person when the Holy Spirit comes into the person. And so we've been going through uh, each one of these marks of a supernaturally changed heart. We've looked at joy, and, and we looked at love, and today we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit of peace. The fruit of the Spirit of peace is peace. Now, when you think about peace, there's, you know, last week we talked about joy, and peace and joy, there's something very similar about these two virtues. But the way you, the difference between them, the way you can think about it is, is what is the opposite? So what is the opposite of joy? The opposite of joy is despair. The opposite of joy is depression, hopelessness. And what is the opposite of peace? The opposite of peace is anxiety. The opposite of peace is worry. And so what, what peace is, what the spirit-born peace is, it is that virtue which breaks the power of anxiety in our lives. Okay, so, so this is that virtue which, which, which uh, wages war on anxiety and worry and stress in our lives. Now, many, many commentators and magazine writers and psychologists, uh, one thing that they all keep saying is that the, ail- there's the ailment that marks our modern age more than anything else, is this ailment of anxiety. Uh, you know, some, for whatever reason, uh, our modern age is marked by this anxiety, this restlessness that we all deal with on a daily basis. And it's not an overstatement that W.H. Uh, Auden, who's, uh, he, he wrote a poem way back in 1947, and he called the modern age the age of anxiety. I don't think that's an overstatement. I think that that's a reality that many of us face on a daily basis. And in fact, there was, a, there was an entire online series in the New York Times uh, recently where um, uh, uh, authors, uh, they've uh, con- contributed essays that all dealt with this issue of anxiety, just exploring this topic because it's so pervasive, so worry is so pervasive in the modern age. And there was an essay there by a British author, her name was Ruth Whitman. And uh, Ruth Whitman, she's a British woman and she's, she, was a, uh, she visited the U.S. and, and lived here uh, for a time, and then went back to, to England. And one of the things she noticed about Americans is this, <laughs> this particular psychosis of anxiety. And she wrote, this is how she begins her essay. It was called America the Anx- Anx- uh, Anxious. She said, happiness in America has become the, over- the, has become the overachiever's ultimate trophy. It outranks professional achievement, social success, family, friend- family friendship, and even love. This obsessive, driven, relentless pursuit is a characteristically American struggle, the exhausting daily application of the Declaration of Independence. But at the same time, it is creating a nation of nervous wrecks. Despite being the richest nation on earth, the United States is, according to the World Health Organization, by a wide margin also the most anxious with nearly a third of Americans likely to suffer from, anxi- from an anxiety problem in their lifetime. America's precocious, 
levels of anxiety are not just happening in spite of the great national happiness rat race, but also perhaps because of it. So here we are as Americans, you know, we have this, this uh, we need to pursue happiness, and, and so often we interpret that as more money, more help, more, uh, you know, uh, leisure, uh, better kids, smarter kids, uh, bigger houses, all of that, and what happens? We end up being incredibly anxious. And maybe you're dealing with some of that this morning, you know, you're just struggling on the inside, anxious uh, in your life. There was a cartoon that I saw recently, and it was this man laying in bed, and he's laying in bed talking on the phone, and he says to the person on the other line, whenever I get anxious, I write down some of my worries. And then it pans out, and around this man's room, is just peppered in these little yellow sticky notes with anxieties on it, right? And you see, uh, you know, these anxieties, war, recession, divorce, calories, radon gas, sex, killer bees. And if we're honest, that scene res- resembles our interior lives, I think. Our insides are covered with the scribbles of all the things that make us anxious. So think about, think about your own life this morning. What anxieties did you bring into the room? What worries are still swirling around in your mind even as you listen to my sermon? What the Bible says is that God is deeply concerned with our anxieties. You know, in fact, Jesus, you know, his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the very first recorded sermon of Jesus, right smack dab in the middle of that sermon, what does Jesus talk about? He says, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about the future. God is concerned about your anxiety. And so that's why uh, when, when uh, the Spirit comes into your life, the Spirit brings peace. And the peace of God has come to break the power of anxiety that we deal with on a daily basis. One of the marks of a supernaturally changed heart is that we have a decreasing anxiety over the concerns of life and an increasing level of peace. And so this morning, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit as peace. What does that look like? We, we all need it so desperately. And some of us need it more than others. What, what does it look like? Well, I want to go to John 14, which is a very famous passage on peace. And Jesus here at the very end of his life, he is talking to his disciples. And uh, he makes this statement here. He says, uh, he, he makes a statement uh, where he says, peace give I to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so here's a passage about peace. And I want to ask three questions about the passage. Number one, what is peace? Number two, why do we need it? And then finally, how do we get it? So peace, what is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? Three questions. And so let's, for, let's ask the first question. What is the peace that Jesus is talking about? Well, in order to understand what he's talking about, you've got to sort of get the context here. This is Jesus, like I said, at the end of his life, and he is, uh, he's, he's talking to his disciples about what's going to happen very soon. And he's, he's dropping all these bombs on them. I'm going away. I'm, I'm going to suffer. You're going to suffer too. It's all going to be over. It, it, there's going to be tribulation. And so he's just dropping all of these bombs on them. And so the disciples, obviously, as they think about this, they, they, their hearts begin to get troubled. In fact, that's the word that keeps on repeating all the way through this last little talk that Jesus gives is their hearts are troubled. Their hearts are anxious, and they're worried about the things that Jesus is talking about. They're worried about the future. What's going to happen? 
what if, you know, what, what, you know what, the what ifs and, and where are we going and what's going to become of us? All of these fears are going on and, and so they're troubled on the inside and they're afraid. Now, there's a good sort of fear, isn't there? You know, you're, you're walking in the street and a, and a car is coming towards you and there's that fear that raises your adrenaline level and causes you to quickly get out of the way. It's a fear that, that keeps us out of danger, Right? But then there's a bad sort of fear. There's this anxiety, and, and what this looks like is you're anxious and you're worried and you're restless even when the car's not coming anymore. It's an abiding sense of worry about the future, about the what-ifs. It's not necessarily about a present danger, but almost like this generalized future uh, fear that, that, you're, that you're dealing with. And this is what the disciples are dealing with, and it's causing their hearts to be troubled. And so Jesus says, in the midst of their trouble, he says this. He says, peace give I to you. And what Jesus does here is he gives the peace. And what the peace is here is it is the antidote to their worry. This peace is a medicine for their anxiety. He says, you're anxious and you're worried, and here's what I'm going to give you to deal with that. I'm going to give you my peace. And so what is the antidote? What is the medicine? What is this peace that Jesus gives them? Well, the Greek word is the, is the word irene. Can we all say irene? Transliterated, it is I-R-E-N-E, which is the name Irene. And so if your name is Irene, anybody, any Irenes here this morning, your name literally means peace in Greek. And what, what irene is, it, it, we get our word irenic from it. So think of it as tranquility. Think of it as an inner calm, an inner quiet. And, you know, what's interesting is you think about joy and peace. When you look at joy in the Bible, joy is always associ associated with noise. Make a joyful what? Noise to the Lord. Uh, Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're making noise. They're singing to God loudly. But peace is actually marked by an inner quiet. It's a calm. It's a tranquility. It's an equilibrium on the inside. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones calls this the quiet heart. And notice it's something that, that comes to you on the inside. This is an equilibrium that happens no matter what's going on on the outside. This is an inner peace. Now, Jesus says it's a peace not as the world gives do I give to you. He says that. You know, this is not the sort of peace that the world gives. The world gives you a peace that comes from a peaceful environment. You know, yesterday I went uh, hunting for the very first time. Uh, my friend Jared took me hunting. And uh, we did not get a deer, unfortunately. But what we did get was a very peaceful environment. You know, you ever, I don't know if you've ever gone hunting, you go out there and you're sitting in the deer stand and it's early in the morning and it's, it's serene and it's peaceful and it's quiet. And it was, it was actually good for my soul, I think. But the peace that Jesus is talking about is not the peace that comes from a tranquil outward environment. It's a peace that comes from a tranquil inner environment. Not tranquility on the outside, but tranquility on the inside. It is, a, it is a calm in the midst of chaos. So when everything's raging, the storms are raging around your life, swirling around your life, the peace that Jesus is talking about is a peace that comes in and gives you a tr uh, an equilibrium right in the middle of that. A picture of this is Jesus. You know, Jesus says here, my peace I give to you. And so this is a peace that Jesus had. And a picture of it, of it, you remember Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee. 
he brought his disciples out there and this wind came down from the surrounding mountains and caused a, a huge storm to develop, a mega storm in Greek. And everything's going crazy, including the disciples. They're freaking out, they're panicking. And they look over and there's Jesus and what, he's, what is he doing? He's napping in the boat, sleeping in the boat. And this is a picture of Irene. It is calm in the midst of chaos. It is peace. It is sleeping in the midst of, of the waves. Uh, Psalm 8 uh, talks about the peace in this way. It says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. And so this is a peace marked by the ability to sleep. And some of you are so anxious that you lay in bed at night and, and all the anxieties are, are on, the, on the inside of your brain, they're swirling around, they're moving around, but the peace that Jesus gives enables you to sleep even in the midst of all this stuff that's going on in your life to tranquility. And it's not just the absence of something. This is not just the absence of anxiety or the absence of you know, worries or concerns. It's the presence of something. Because Philippians 4 talks about this irene as well. Philippians 4, it says, it talks about the peace of God. And it says the peace of God is like it will guard your heart and mind. And the word guard there, it's referring to a Roman garrison. It's referring to a, 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 a garrison of soldiers that almost surrounds your heart. And so it's not just the absence of concern, it's the presence of a sense that you're protected. That no, matters, no matter what's going on, there's something there, there's something protecting you. Uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, all the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. And so here's the peace that stands guard around your heart. It, it, uh, it protects the citadel of your heart and it keeps all the worries of the world out. It's a sense of protection. It's a sense of it is well with my soul. Which is another picture of this piece. Uh, you know, uh, Horatio Spofford wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And he wrote it in a very interesting point in his life. He was, his house and all of his belongings were destroyed in the Chicago fire. And then a couple of years later, he had sent his wife and children across the Atlantic to vacation in London. And on their way, there was a shipwreck, and his, and his wife and his children were involved in this, in this terrible event, and uh, all of them were, were cast into the ocean. Well, the, his wife was rescued. All of his four children, uh, all of his four daughters passed away. And so she goes to London, and she, she wires uh, Horatio Spafford, and she says, um, all is lost. I am the only one who survived. And so he writes this song, It Is Well With My Soul. And have you ever considered the first two lines? When peace like a river attendeth my soul, what is the next one? When sorrows like sea billows roll. And this is the peace. It's a peace that comes right in the middle of sorrow. It's the peace that, that protects you and guards you like a garrison against, amidst all the chaos on the outside. It's an equilibrium. And this is what Jesus is talking about. And, and notice also, this, is not, this doesn't come from almost a stoic indifference. You know, there's a piece you can get that's almost like a stoic indifference, like I just don't care. You know what I mean? When bad things start happening to you, you can sort of become very cynical, and you can just stop caring, you know? Like, I just don't care. 
I don't care about work anymore. I don't care. I'm going to detach. I'm going to sort of almost uh, surround myself and protect myself from caring about anything. This is not the piece that Jesus, Jesus cared a lot about people. And he was deeply ingrained with the troubles in the world. And yet, in the midst of this care and concern, he still had a it is wellness about his soul. So this is not stoic indifference. This is the presence of a sense of protection. It's an equilibrium on the inside. So this is what it is. This is what Jesus promises them. This is the medicine. This is the antidote to anxiety. Here they are, all troubled. The disciples are worried. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, here is my peace. Here's Irene, and I'm going to give it to you because I'm going to go away. Now, why do we need this? Why do we need this sort of peace? Here's the second question. Why, why is this peace so important? Well, this peace is important because notice Jesus talks about it in his very last sermon. I mean, Jesus, this is the very end. You don't waste any words in your very last sermon. This is the last thing he's telling his disciples. And yet, in, this, in the very last breaths, when he could say anything, Jesus talks about peace. Why does he do that? Because peace is vital. All of us need this peace. This is crucial, this equilibrium on the inside. We, you and I, we need this desperately. And why do we need it? Why do we need this, this uh, calm in the midst of chaos? It's because the chaos in this world is inevitable. Jesus says as much uh, in chapter 16 at the very end. You guys can turn there if you want. I don't think it's going to come up on the screen, but he says, um, uh, where does he say it? He says um, at the very end, here, here he says, verse 33, he said, I have said things, these things to you that in me you may have peace. And then he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Notice what he said there right in the middle. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. And here is a promise. The reason why we need peace in the midst of chaos is because chaos is inevitable. In fact, tribulation and trouble is, is a divine promise from Jesus. It's not a promise that we like to claim, is it? It's not a promise that we crochet and put on our refrigerator, but here's what Jesus says. Hey, look, I'm going away, and you know what? In this world, you will face tribulation. It's not an if, but a when. And so Jesus never promises a peace on the outside, on, on the, in, an outer peace. He just doesn't. In fact, he promises just the opposite. Because tribulation and trouble are inevitable in your life and mine, we need to learn how to be tranquil on the inside. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book called No Graven Images. And in this book, she talks about a missionary to South America, a missionary woman. And she went down there to translate the Bible. In the midst of the translation, one of the uh, members of the tribe became very deathly ill, and the woman was also a nurse. And so she administered a, a, a medicine uh, to this, uh, this native, and it ended up killing the native, which in turn got the tribe incredibly angry at the missionary. And they took all of her work, all of her translation, and they threw it in the river. She runs back to the U.S., and the book ends. And the evangelical world hated that book because there was no silver lining, there was no happy ending, it was just suffering. And they said, oh, God would never do that. God would never allow one of his loved ones to suffer like that. And 
Anyone who knows the story of Elizabeth Elliot knows that that's essentially her story. And she says, any God that doesn't allow suffering is a graven image. In fact, Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, promises tribulation. In this world, you'll face chaos. In this world, you'll face trouble. And so he says, because it's inevitable, because it's coming, you need to learn how to have an inner tranquility. Because if you don't have peace, your fear is going to immobilize you. Have you ever noticed that, that, you know, you enter a circumstance and if you're terribly afraid, it'll just stop you in your tracks. And if you don't have this peace, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna just, it's gonna keep you from serving God when difficulties come. It's gonna paralyze you. And you can't, disciples gotta be moving forward and, and this anxiety, this fear, it stops you and it immobilizes you and it paralyzes you. And so Jesus says, you need this peace. And if you don't have peace, it's going to keep you from loving. Have you ever noticed it's really difficult to make peace on the outside if you don't have peace on the inside? Have you ever noticed it's very difficult to be present and loving to people in your life if you're just filled with inner turmoil? And when you look at Jesus here in this passage, what's so fascinating is here he is at the end of his life, and he is looking at the worst suffering that any human has ever faced. And yet he is utterly present and he's utterly there and he's caring and he's loving. Why? It's because Jesus Christ has an inner peace. And it's enabling him to be present in the moment. Do you see why you need this peace? Do you you see why this is not just nice if you can get it? This peace is absolutely crucial because trouble will come and if you don't have the inner peace, that trouble is just gonna destroy you. It's going to crumble you. You know, I, I come from uh, a place where there are big waves and, and oceans and one ocean, actually, the Pacific, not, not more than that. But uh, the Pacific Ocean, if you go down to, to the beach, there are cliffs and there's rocks, and you see the waves, and they come in one after another after another, and they beat on down the rocks. And you, you almost think, like, once, you know, sooner or later, those rocks are going to crumble, they're going to, you know, fall off into the sea, but the amazing thing about some of these rocks is that the waves come again and again and again, the rock always remains. There's a stability there. And this is why we need this peace, because, because the Bible says you've got to be immovable, and you've got to move forward, and you've got to love, and you've got to care. You can't disengage and detach, you've got to be there. And in order to be there, present in love and, and to endure, you need to have this peace. And see, Jesus tells his disciples about this peace. What is it? It is calm in the midst of chaos. Why do we need it? Well, every disciple needs it. Every human needs it if we're going to love and move forward and not be paralyzed. You know, Timothy, there's a pastor named Timothy in the New Testament. And Timothy was a man who was, he was a sensitive soul and he struggled with anxieties. And, and pastoral work is dangerous, right? There are sufferings and, and uh you know, just all sorts of things that happen, especially in the first century. And so here's Timothy, filled with anxiety, all timid and scared. And, and Paul comes to him and says, Timothy, this, this fear you have is dangerous. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a, of a sound mind. And so Timothy needed this peace, and we need this peace, and, and every disciple needs it if we're gonna move forward. And so how do we get it? 
which is the final question I'm going to ask. How do we get this, this peace? Well, notice the world can't give it to us because Jesus says, I give you peace not as the world gives. Give I, you can't give I to you. You don't get this peace by, by managing your circumstances or by dropping out and disengaging or medicating. Um, I'm not against uh, you know, depression medication or anxiety, anxiety medication. I think that stuff is really good and helpful. And I'm also not against uh, counseling. You know, if you are struggling with anxiety, go to counseling by all means. But the peace that Jesus talks about here, it's, it's something that, that's really beneath all that. And it has everything to do with God. Because notice here, you've got to ask the question, why were the disciples troubled? Why, why did they not have peace in this moment? Well, there was, a lot, there was a lot of things. Probably Jesus talked about death, and he talked about suffering, and he's talk, given up a promise about tribulation. There's a lot of things that probably disturbed their peace. But there was one thing that Jesus said here that I think was underneath all of their anxieties. At the very beginning of his talk, Jesus said this one thing, I think it just lodged in their brain, and they just couldn't get it out of their brain. It just was there on repeat. Because at the very beginning of his talk, what did Jesus say? He looked at them and he said, I am going away. I'm going away. And he said, where I go, you can't follow. And so imagine that, I mean, here was Jesus. The disciples had been following Jesus all their lives. And here was a man that came into their lives and gave them living water and gave them purpose. Here was a man who calmed the seas. Here was a man that, that, that called them into mission and, and gave them a reason to live And do you remember Jesus at one point, he says, you guys can go away if you want to. And Peter said, where else can we go? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. And so here this one who was their Lord, who was their meaning, who was their everything, looks at them and says, I'm going away. And where I'm going, this time you can't follow. And I think this was the thing that just ruptured their insides. This was the thing that was like a blender that just turned up their hearts and their souls. And what was it? It was the fear of being alone. And I think at the end of the day, this is what's at the bottom of all of our anxiety. It is the fear of being alone in the world. It's almost a fear of being a cosmic orphan. That there's no, there's no God. That there's nothing there. I, I'm at the... I'm at the mercy of random circumstances. You know, things are willy-nilly. And God is going away, and I can't follow him. There's an ad campaign in London, and maybe some of you guys heard it. I heard of it. It, was, it made headlines around the world, but this ad can- campaign, it was called the Atheist Bust Campaign. And so maybe some of you have heard this campaign, the Atheist Bust Campaign. Uh, And it was uh, the British uh, Humanist Society, they put these ads on the side of a bus. And the ad said this, there is probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. There's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. Now, I guess in some ways, uh, if you don't believe in in God, that might bring some enjoyment to your life. But I wonder if the story or the belief that there is no God would actually cause you to worry less. I don't think it would. In fact, I think at the root of all of our anxieties is this fear of being alone. 
cosmic il- cosmically alone in the world. When I was a boy, I remember getting lost in the grocery store. Anyone else experienced that? And I had somehow attached myself to some other woman's leg. She wasn't my mom's leg. <laughs> and I, I still, this, I was like four years old, but I still remember that anxiety. I had attached myself to this woman's leg, and I looked up and, <gasps> you're not my mom. And then it was this feeling of utter alone. Where, where's my mom? <laughs> I'm alone in the grocery store. And I think there's almost a cosmic version of this where you feel like you're alone in the world. And I think this is what the disciples feared. This is what caused their heart trouble. And I think this is what causes a lot of our trouble. God, are you there? But notice what Jesus does here. He gives us the antidote, and he gives us the peace. And notice where the peace comes from. At one point, Jesus says, I'm going away, and you can't follow me. But he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. He said, I will come to you, and I won't just be with you. I'm going to come to you in a way where I will be in you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the divine personal resident of the Christian's heart. He is saying no less than this, that yes, I won't be personally, physically here with you, but it's gonna be better. I am, there's gonna be a time where by my Holy Spirit, my personal presence will come and not only be with you, but in you. And that is the medicine to all of our anxiety. That's where the peace comes from. When Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, he's talking about his own personal presence through the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying is that the Christian God is not some far-off deity. Up there watching the world as it, as it spins through the galaxy. The Christian God is a God who is present. He came into the world in the person of Jesus, and he lived in the midst of chaos. And even when he died and he rose again and he left, he sent his own personal presence into the world to be with us and in us. So that step by step, day by day, God's own very presence is there. And one of the greatest sources of peace in your life is to know that he's there. There is a little poem by uh, St. Patrick. St. Patrick's Day, his St. Patrick. And St. Patrick was a missionary to the Irish. And he wrote this very famous poem in the 5th century. I'm going to quote a part of it. And it's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. And it talks about God's presence. And for him, I mean, he lived in a, in a world of chaos, a dangerous world. And for him, this breastplate, this fortress against anxiety, was this understanding of God's presence. And here's what he says. He says, Christ be with me, Christ within me. Christ behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love me. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. He's saying, Christ, you're all around me. I'm not an orphan. I'm not alone in the world. Christ, you're everywhere. You're all around me. You're with me. You're in me. You're behind me, before me, underneath me, above me. Christ, you're everywhere. And I need to know that you're with me. You know, one of the things you can do when you're anxious is pray. Unload your burden to the God who is closer to you than your own skin. And remind yourself that he's with you every step of every day. St. Augustine said, God alone is the place of peace 
that cannot be disturbed. Your peace is found in God's presence. And maybe some of you have experienced this, where your life is chaotic and things are crazy, and you go and you sit alone with God, and, and maybe you read a poem or you read a scripture, or you pray or whatever, and there is that peace like a garrison that gives you a calm and a quiet in the midst of your crazy life. It is an equilibrium uh, that you could have in, in almost any circumstance. And it's not something that happens immediately. You know, this is something, you know, you, 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 you slowly begin to worry less and you slowly get more peace. And the Bible says this is a mark of a supernaturally changed heart. This is what it looks like when the living God comes to live in the soul of a human. Love, joy, and peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the peace that you give us. And uh, God, we thank you so much for your presence, Lord. You, um, you're, you're not a God that it's distant. That's not the, the God of Christian theology or the Bible. You are a God who is imminently present. You are a God who came into the world in the person of Jesus and you experienced our suffering, you experienced our shame and you are the God who sends your spirit to live in us. God, every moment, every day, every step, Lord, you are with us so that we face nothing alone. And God, we thank you for this.